the award-winning Your Financial Editor program on 930 WFMD. News from the worlds of business and finance with your financial editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcast and search Your Financial Editor, and you can get uh, this program or um, any of the others. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us. Hope things are well with you and your family, and you're having a good weekend. Uh, good program for you today. Really interesting top stories, uh, some very important economic data, especially as it relates to inflation. Uh, and also joining me uh, in just a little bit, Mr. Stephen Bradbury. He served in the Trump administration as a Senate-confirmed general counsel of the United States Department of Transportation. So he was there uh, from 2017 to 2021, basically uh, Department of Transportation's chief legal officer. And he also oversaw all of DOT's rulemaking and enforcement actions. He did a really nice piece uh, on the nonsense, continued nonsense that's uh, coming uh, from California. They have uh, these global climate regulators at the California Air Resources Board, or CARB, as they like to call it. Um, They're working very closely with the Biden administration, um, Obama administration, basically, uh, to further um, put a stranglehold on um, our, our energy uh, opportunities and one of the things they're doing <laughs> it just blows your mind they're working closely to remake America's trucking industry by forcing a transition to electric trucks so can you imagine how big the battery is going to have to be for that if in fact it, it would even come to uh, fruition and how much uh, minerals and other resources would have to be stripped from the earth to uh, supposedly save the air. It's just, this is total nonsense. I mean, they're raping the earth in my mind, and in my opinion, just to try to force this green agenda in yet another area of our lives. And by the way, guess who's going to pay for all the additional cost? Because if you have something, a trucker brought it to you, so, you know, it's it's just going to be passed on to you, and it's another flavor of inflation and higher cost of living, and it's going to punish the poor and those on uh, fixed incomes in retirement and the single moms. That's who it's going to hurt. I mean, this is just the opposite of what they say. Um, it's just another example of the uh, power grab the greed right uh with all this money laundering in this green climate false narrative area the whole arena that they've created so um we're going to talk to mr bradbury about that uh and also you know east palestine in ohio uh terrible train derailment there last year um and then we saw multiple derailments after that Um, So why? Why was that? We'll get his opinion in just a little bit. Uh, Talking about energy, um, we saw an extremely large deal in that space uh, this week. The uh, U.S. oil producer Diamondback Energy said on Monday that it was buying the privately held competitor Endeavor Energy Partners. This is a $26 billion cash and stock deal. 
uh, that just continues this rapid consolidation in the top U.S. shale oil field. So the combined company would be the third largest oil and gas producer in the Permian Basin of West Texas and New Mexico, only behind Exxon and Chevron, which, of course, we uh, reported here on the program, have both announced recent deals themselves. So the combined company would pump 816,000 barrels of oil and gas per day. And um, this, of course, would help to bring energy prices down and to provide, hopefully, uh, further energy security for the uh, citizens of the United States of America, as well as, uh, if, uh, if available, exporting to our allies who need uh, energy. And hopefully we can do that instead of them getting it from Iran or um, Russia or fill in the blank. So uh, we'll see how that works out. And speaking of energy still, um, this is important. OPEC on Tuesday stuck to their forecast for relatively strong growth in global oil demand, not just this year, but in 2025 as well. They raised their economic growth forecast for both years. um, And in their monthly report, said that world oil demand will rise by 2.5 million barrels per day this year. Um, The OPEC Plus Alliance is still cutting output, though. So here they're saying better growth, more demand, but we're going to uh, cut our output because why? They want to control the oil price, right? Your energy cost. So when you're at the gas pump, not only are you paying, or you're paying your electric bill, whatever it may be, not only are you paying more right then and there, and that's out of your pocket that you'll never see again, the people that hate our guts is who you're sending that excess to. But they told us global economic uh, uh, economic growth remains robust, but we're going to stick to our cut, and, um, and and that's just the way it's going to be. So put that in your pipe and smoke it is what they're telling you. So we talk about the uh, energy. I've been on that pretty much so far uh, to kick the program off. Also very interesting to see this week, J.P. Morgan Chase, BlackRock, State Street, and others announced that they're quitting or in the – case of BlackRock uh, scaling back involvement in this massive United Nations climate alliance that was formed to combat global warming. How? Through corporate sustainability agreements. So in a statement, J.P. Morgan explained that they would exit the uh, so-called Climate Action 100-plus investor group. Um, And then the others are, again, saying they're either going to get out of it or they're going to scale back. But this is a a head fake. This is not going away. And what these companies have realized is that you and I and so many others have become wise as to what's going on with this fake climate narrative. And what we saw last year, 
because we also became aware of the ESG, right, the Environmental Social Governance, and they were so bold that they actually put that behind the name of their mutual fund or they incorporated it in, uh, well, on their websites, you name it. Well, people realized that um, we want the we want access to reliable and um, lower cost energy, and we know that here in America, in particular, in particular, we we extract that energy better, safer, cleaner than anybody else. And by the way, it's wonderful for job creation that supports husbands and wives and their families so environmental so, then you get to social okay well you know what a dumpster fire these people are with social issues and how upside down and perverted they are and then of course you get to governance oh okay well this is who we're going to hire right and this is the same with the dei stuff uh, diversity equity and inclusion that's false too so we're starting to see what happens when you hire people for the wrong reasons as opposed to their merit and their work ethic, right, and their dedication. So um, is that why doors are flying off planes? I don't know. But you know what? I never would have thought of that before. And then you're seeing this more and more. You're seeing these prosecutors and just the pathetic lifestyle that they live and their vendettas and all that. This is all something that, you know, this ESG stuff. But like I, like I was saying, they're dropping it. And they're trying to kind of go back into the shadows, which is where they started. And this is going to continue. So you have to be even more vigilant in saying, okay, I need to understand what I'm invested in, what product I'm buying, um, you fill in the blank, right? We have to be more aware of uh, what's going on around us, our purchases, our investments, our exposure, things of that nature. So it's not going away, even though they're acting like it is. Um, pretty exciting for uh, digital currencies this week. Bitcoin hit the $50,000 level for the first time in more than two years. So, um, you know, in the cryptocurrency space, they're expecting rate cuts later this year as the Federal Reserve is kind of uh, telegraphed, if you will. Um, also, we recently talked here on the program and on the Morning News Express with Bob and Chris about last month's regulatory nod for U.S. exchange-traded funds. Um, and it wasn't just Bitcoin. You looked at um, other crypto stocks that were attached, like the uh, crypto exchange Coinbase, the crypto miners, Riot Platforms, and Marathon Digital, um, shares of software firm MicroStrategy. Uh, you, you know, it, it kind of went across the board, and you saw a real nice rally in that space this week. Unfortunately, more layoffs. They just continue. Now, this time it's Paramount. They're laying off about 800 employees, about 300% of their workforce. Uh, most of those here in the United States, but also outside of the United States. Um, so they're talking about, you know, the changing landscape of streaming. They're talking about the Hollywood strike last year um, and the impact. Look, this is just because of um, just terrible content and people are sick of it. And when you look at Paramount, you're talking about 
the parent company of CBS News, CMT, Nickelodeon, Showtime, the Smithsonian Channel, and people are looking at this, the content on all of these outlets, saying that it's just cruddy. And, and they're literally forcing or trying to force these um, just pathetic narratives and ideas down everybody's throat, and folks are sick of it. I mean, it's not as bad as Netflix, but it's pretty daggone bad when you look at um, – you know, MTV under Paramount and others. Uh, the content is terrible. And, you know, just we don't need it, but sure to take a nice slap in the face this week from Janet Yellen. So she shrugged off the latest uh, hotter than expected U.S. inflation data, which I'll get to in a, in a moment. Um, but you've got Janet Yellen, uh, who was just a lapdog for Obama, and then she went and made millions on the speaker tour, and now she's Treasury Secretary for Obama, uh, for uh, Biden, doing the same damage, uh, or maybe even more, as Treasury Secretary. So she's at the Detroit Economic Club alongside Gretchen Whitmer, and um, basically she stated that the January CPI report was, quote, tad higher, unquote, than observers expected. So she thinks it's a tremendous, quote, I think it's a tremendous mistake to focus on minor fluctuations and to fail to see the longer term and bigger trends. That's what she said. This is a lady who called inflation transitory, who kept dismissing inflation as it went up month after month after month. So if she's going to try to lecture us on longer term and bigger trends, um, she's basically finding herself in sinking sand because she has no credibility whatsoever. In addition, um, you know, you saw some other pieces of inflation go higher as well. So we're listening to her, then we're listening to uh, a White House official saying the gasoline prices are below $3 a gallon at most stations nationwide. These people, they don't know if it's night and day. $3? Below $3? Oh, wait, let's look at the American Automobile Association. Maybe they know what they're talking about, right? The average price for a gallon of gasoline is $3.26 not below $3. You know what? $3.26 is 36% higher since Biden took office. But they're just going to lie to your face, make excuses, tell you that, you know, things are great when they're not. Basically anything but the truth. So in looking at that, uh, that issue of inflation, we did see on Tuesday that the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, uh, came in hotter than expected in January. Um, it was up three-tenths of a percent in January from the previous month and up 3.1% from the same time last year. So that's her tad higher. They were expecting 2.9%. They got 3.1%. Guess what, Yellen? 
Miss uh, Multimillionaire with you, know, you and the others that have your drivers and your security details and live in your echo chambers, right, your little bubbles. It's crushing people. That 3.1% is on top of all the other inflation that you guys caused the last three years. So quit dismissing it. Just acknowledge it and do something about it. What do you do? Your Treasury Secretary quit spending money. How about that? Quit hiring so many new government employees. What was the last last month? Another another thirty six thousand government jobs were created. Another thirty six thousand on top of all the others before that and the existing. So anyway, we've got this inflation, 3.1% year over year. We're already feeling the pain. Like I said, it doesn't matter. You're looking at rent, problem. Food prices, problem. Health insurance, problem. Auto insurance, problem. Apparel, fill in the blank. And it's all on purpose. It's all the spending. So look, in a couple weeks... When everybody starts whining and crying about a government shutdown, shut it down. No more spending. Every CR, continuing resolution, or Band-Aid, whatever, that they put on and go another three months, or whatever it might be, is the continuation of the excessive and overspending of Biden, Schumer, McConnell, Pelosi. That's all it is. $34.2 trillion racking it up every millisecond. It's got to stop. You know, we talked about this last week with this, this deficit. It's insane. It has to stop. And it should start right now. This year. I don't care if it's an, an election year. Do the right thing, please. We saw retail sales really fall on their face uh, in January. They were down eight-tenths of one percent, according to the Commerce Department. Minus eight-tenths of one percent. You know what the consensus was by economists? Minus one-tenth of one percent. You talk about a miss. I mean, this is the worst month for retail sales since March 2023. And it wasn't just brick and mortar. Online spending fell as well. As a matter of fact, sales fell in nine of 13 retail categories last month. It was a terrible report. I don't care how you slice it. Uh, It was not good. Oh, I talked about the CPI. By the way, the PPI, which came out yesterday, um, was hotter than expected as well. So that's on the wholesale level, producer price index, right? What are the, what's a producer going to do with that? Well, we've seen what they're going to do with that. They're going to pass on the additional co- uh, uh, cost to us. That's why we're talking about higher CPI, consumer price index. But yeah, that was up three-tenths of 1% in January from the previous month. Hotter than expected. They were looking for one-tenth of 1%. And they get three tenths. So, I mean, these are these are serious misses, and um, and they're constant. So, um, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Look, I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth, right? Because we want to be smarter than the average bear. 
As a matter of fact, my wife and I, we sat at our Valentine's Day lunch the other day in a restaurant, and I was beside these two older men. I'm not even going to say gentlemen. And they were the most offensive people I've been around in I don't know how long. I mean, I actually lost my appetite and didn't finish my meal because of having their their table was right beside ours. They didn't really have any. They were talking about abortion and just terrible things, and 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 their views on it were sickening. Literally, I did not finish my meal, and you know, I know they probably get their information from National Public Radio or the New York Times, or you know, they sit. I don't know, with their friends and smoke their pipes and, you know, think that uh, that they're uh, they're the next best thing since sliced bread. I don't know what their deal is, um, but it got to the point where I was about two seconds away before my wife stopped me of telling them, you know what? I always thought that as you got older, you gain wisdom. And it was just the opposite for these two bozos. And that's our problem is the people out there, and I heard exactly what they were saying, and they are so upside down on the reality and truth of this world and what's going on and what's right and what's wrong, um, it, it just boggled my mind. But um, that's what we're dealing with. So um, all we can do here, like I said, I, I, I'm not uh, trying to be a, a downer, but these are actual numbers and things that are going on. You know, it's Janet Yellen patting you on the head, or Biden saying, you know, your your Fourth of July picnic's not going to be as much. You know, that we're smarter than that, and we pride ourselves on that. So that's why we have to shine the light on it, so we don't fall into, you know, their headlines that seem to make everything perfect. It's just it's lies, 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 and we don't want to be part of that, um, and we won't be. So we're going to keep um, keep pointing out the truth, keep uh, with the statistics, what's a, an accurate statistic or inaccurate. Um, but that's how we're going to that's how we're going to work here on the program like we have for the last going on 27 years. Coming up in just a minute, my guest, Mr. Stephen Bradbury, um, he is um, well, he was, excuse me. Uh, He served in the Trump administration as a Senate-confirmed general counsel of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, He was there from 2017 to uh, 2021, basically the the department's chief legal officer, and oversaw a lot of stuff. He was also in the uh, Bush 43 administration. And um, he wrote a really good article this week on the additional new nonsense coming out of California as far as uh, the baloney climate stuff, they want to make a battery big enough to um, to power tractor trailers. So we're going to talk about all that. And also I want to get his input on uh, East Palestine and in Ohio and see what he thinks about there. So stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab uh, this program uh, last week, a couple weeks ago. Dr. Carson was on. That's always good uh, speaking with him. But, you know, they, they go way back. So if you uh, want to re-listen to a program, help yourself. Very glad to have with us uh, today Mr. Stephen Bradbury. Uh, Mr. Bradbury served in the Trump administration as the Senate confirmed general counsel of the U.S. Department of Transportation. He was there from November 17 until January 21, and um, he was the basically the department's chief legal officer, and uh, he was also in the Bush 43 administration, and um, he uh, got his... Oh, you know what else is really good that I saw on his resume that uh, might uh, you know get his opinion on? He actually clerked for Justice Clarence Thomas of the Supreme, or at, you know, on the Supreme Court. So, uh, what a wonderful man and American patriot there! Uh, but he got his uh, law degree from Michigan Law School and his bachelor's degree from Stanford. And uh, really glad to have Mr. Bradbury on the uh, program. Hello, Mr. Bradbury. How are you today? Hey, Chris. Thank you for having me. Appreciate yes, it. yes, sir. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy man and getting a lot of good stuff done. Um, I had mentioned to you off the air uh, before we came on. Um, you know, we're uh, recognizing the uh, basically the one year anniversary of uh, what happened in uh, East Palestine, um, Ohio, with the train derailment and just the, the horrific uh, consequences right. there. Um, since you were at the Department of Transportation, could you kind of uh, help? Our, vis, our our listeners uh, visualize and and understand better, um, you know what happened there and and how it should have been handled. Sure, thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, it's a horrible conflagration. Obviously, uh, uh, dangerous chemicals, uh, vinyl chloride, principally leaking out, and um, just horrible for the the citizens of that community. And it almost seems like the administration basically wanted to turn its back on the people in communities like East Palestine, which are too often forgotten in our uh, political policy debates and and what have you. And I think what should have happened is that a senior officer from the administration, I probably would have tagged uh, Secretary Buttigieg with this responsibility if not the president himself, uh, should have been on the ground uh, within a day of that disaster and should have been coordinating all government efforts, uh, federal, state, and local, and all uh, responses to the tragedy and communicating clearly to the local citizens what was going on, why things were happening, uh, what the risk levels were, and that flow of information, I think, should would have been so precious to the people of East Palestine just in, in giving them comfort to understand what was happening. And then, of course, to address the issues, explain it. Uh, it seems like it was an overheated bearing in the wheels of one of the train cars and uh, something that could have been prevented if sensors on the track had picked it up. And uh, the railroad has basically acknowledged that. They're obviously paying huge amounts of money to respond and to clean up. And all of that is justifiably on the railroad. Um, but the railroad needs to be held to account 
And I think the proper way to do that would be for the Department of Transportation to ensure that every major railroad in the country that carries these hazardous chemicals has a safety plan in place that will ensure that these kinds of preventable derailments do not happen and that when they do happen, there's a stringent liability on the railroads. I don't think it's necessarily a matter of requiring uh, highly prescriptive new regulations. Uh, I know there's a lot of debate about that. Um, that can have its, uh, that can backfire if the regulations are too prescriptive and they don't take account of innovations in technology. So that's a balance. But the major thing is, uh, you know, a face, a voice on the ground, coordinating, communicating, and responding to the needs of the citizens of East Palestine. Yeah, and that makes uh, total sense that, that that's the way it should have been handled. And unfortunately, for the residents, uh, first and foremost, it just seems like it wasn't. And then you hear the interviews from the folks that live there on the ground and uh, the horror stories. It's it's really, really um, terrible. The other thing that I found interesting, and, and you you know, maybe you can help clear this up, is it, there seemed to be a string at that uh, point in time of uh, railroad uh, accidents or derailments yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Is that what it was? Or is that like, is it more typical and we just don't normally hear about those? I think it's pretty typical, unfortunately, and we don't always hear about them. There are more than 300 derailments of freight railroads uh, in the country every year, typically. And a lot of them, you know, very few uh, are the kind of visual conflagration that you saw East Palestine with the burn off of the vinyl chloride. Uh, just a horrendous sight, obviously. But many of them do involve contamination of groundwater, contamination of soil, uh, river streams, etc. Um, most of them are relatively minor grade crossing related issues or switching issues in train yards, etc. But there are too many derailments. And it is a systemic problem uh, that needs to be addressed in a comprehensive way. Well, thank you for that explanation. And also for those statistics, I'm sure that uh, our listening audience um, appreciates that and, and is uh, educated and enlightened. So if you will, um, I saw your piece this week, and um, I would just like you to kind of uh, let our listeners know about the latest legal, uh, legal memo that you uh, penned on uh, yeah. the 13th and um, what it's all about. Yeah, this is a, another in a series of memos I've done highlighting what the California climate regulators are attempting to do in terms of transforming really every mode of surface transportation in America. Uh, most people probably know that Gavin Newsom and his climate regulators in California are trying to force the auto industry to transition to electric vehicles faster than market demand would support in order to address concerns about global warming. Uh, I don't know what gives California the license to regulate our entire auto industry to address a global climate issue, but that's the mandate they've taken on. And, uh, uh, number two, they've done it with railroads, locomotives. Uh, and I wrote a long piece on what they're trying to do in terms of uh, transforming the railroad industry across the country. And now they're taking on trucks. And this has to do with the trucking industry. So it's a two-pronged 
effort by them. Uh, they're going after the manufacturers of the big, heavy truck rigs uh, to force them to transition to selling electric trucks, uh, which, by the way, haven't been proven reliable. They don't perform the same uh, work. Uh, they don't have the same utility as diesel trucks. So the cost is going to be very high. They're very expensive as well. But now in this new set of rules, California is going after the trucking companies and the truckers, and they're trying to force the trucking companies to shift to to transition to electric trucks. So they're going to require them to buy only uh, electric trucks going forward and to um, ensure that they meet certain benchmarks in terms of how many electric trucks in their fleet so they have to get to 100% by late 2030s or mid-2040s, depending on the size of the truck. And this is going to apply to large entities that are trucking firms, medium, to really medium size to larger trucking companies and truck rental companies. Anywhere in the country, as long as they have one truck operating in California at any point during the year, they're going to be subject to this rule. Ostensibly, the rule only applies to their truck fleets in California – but if you know the industry, a lot of these big, bigger trucking companies and truck rental firms, they don't know when one of their trucks is going to need to go into California or not. So it's going to put pressure on their whole network and their whole fleet. And this is just going to drive the costs of shipping up for everybody in the country. It's going to worsen the supply chain issues, the bottlenecks with the ports in California, uh, et cetera. And, um, it's a, it's a really an example of a sort of green dream regulatory, uh, you know, your eyes are bigger than, than, than it, 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 it's aspirational and it's unrealistic, but these coercive mandates are being imposed. And the federal government, the Biden administration is allowing California to run with uh, these regulations and, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of argument that that's an improper exercise of the EPA's authority under the Federal Clean Air Act. There are a lot of issues raised, legal issues, about whether this is lawful, uh, because Congress has said for interstate trucking, interstate railroads, we want to have standardized federal regulations. We don't want the states to impose 50 different sets of standards. Um, but here we have California imposing standards on the trucking industry, which is really going to affect their costs, their prices, the services they can offer. And that affects every single American because we're so highly dependent on the truckers, um, the motor carriers to carry our goods uh, in this country. And uh, we need economical trucking to keep those uh, goods affordable. Um, but California is trying to change change the entire industry <laughs> and um, they're getting away with it uh we'll see if the courts stop them uh that's about the only hope unless there's a major change in policy in washington yeah and uh you know i always or often i remind people if you have something a trucker brought it to you whether that's it was right. loaded uh, you know the sea cr uh, containers at port or if it's on the railroad you know but one way or the other it's going to get on a truck and it's going to be delivered to you and like you said the, the the just the horrific part of that is the additional cost that will be passed on to the consumer right. and of course we know it will hurt the poor uh those on fixed incomes the single moms it's going to hurt all them 
the most, and we know that we're not making it up or I'm not making it up. I mean, we see it with this inflation the last few years. It's just devastating with the credit card debt just for necessities and, you know, the auto delinquencies and all the different things that we talk about constantly uh, here on the, the program. It's it, it's really scary stuff. Our guest today, uh, Mr. Stephen Bradbury, served in the Trump administration as a Senate-confirmed general counsel of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Um, also was in the Bush 43 administration and clerked for Justice Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. What a wonderful American he is. I'm sure, uh, Mr. Bradbury, that was a privilege. Oh, absolutely. One of the greatest years of my life. And actually, it continues because he's so close with his the entire extended clerkship family, uh, you know, spouses and children and in some cases, grandchildren. Now he's been on the court 32 years you know, God bless him. Um, and uh, it's just a very close uh, relationship that all of us who clerk with him continue to have with the justice. So it's a great privilege. Yeah, it, I'm sure it is a privilege and a, a wonderful experience. So let's get back to your article, because um, yeah. to me, this it begs the question. We're talking about a tractor trailer here. Um, and right away, uh, I go to how much lithium, cobalt, fill-in-the-blank material right. mining is going to have to be done to create a battery that is proficient enough for interstate commerce. That's right. I mean, these batteries are huge in these tractor-trailer rigs, you know, the electric new electric versions of these. And uh, many of the, you know, battery components, the processed minerals and whatnot are made in China, and China uses coal-fired power to generate the electricity for those operations. And the amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere that, that goes into the manufacture of these batteries is the equivalent of driving a diesel-powered truck for some years. So it's really, uh, it, 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 it's really not accurate to suggest that these trucks are zero emission. They may be zero emission while operating. But there's a lot of emissions that go into the manufacture of the battery. And then, of course, the battery is really heavy. So the electric trucks are 25 or 30 percent heavier than diesel-powered trucks. And what that means is, as you probably know, if you know trucking, there's a gross weight rating truck. Uh, any truck can only carry so much total weight. That includes the weight of the truck. So if the truck starts out 25 or 30 percent heavier, well, that means that truck can only can carry 25 or 30 percent less total cargo, and which translates into 25 or 30 percent higher operating costs for the trucking operator, the motor carrier. And so if you think about you mentioned the ports in California, you know, they have three of the biggest ports in the country. All the biggest Pacific Coast ports for our nation are in California. All that cargo coming through those ports is dependent on those dredge trucks, those tractor trailers that uh, take those cargo containers from the ports. Uh, the California rule requires those dredge truck operators to convert to electric or hydrogen fuel cell trucks, much more expensive. They have much more limited range. They carry less cargo, as I just described, and the infrastructure for charging isn't there. So what's going to happen is the costs of those trucking companies are going to go way up. A lot of them, some of them are going to go out of business. And if you just think about the supply chain bottleneck in those ports, 
we all remember the thousands of ships waiting off offshore to come into those ports. It's all dependent on how much capacity you have to move those containers out of the ports with those trucks. And if just 10% of the drage truck operators go out of business, that's, that's 10% less capacity coming through those ports. And that will hit everybody in the country. Because even out here in Maryland, we're dependent on uh, goods coming in from Asia through those California ports. So the the implications, the effects of this will ripple across the country and will affect the entire economy. Yeah, and when you talked about a moment ago, you mentioned the uh, the ship uh, backup. You were referring to uh, what we we saw uh, live when the virus came and we had problems at the port and we had all those yep. ships out there waiting to be uh, offloaded, right? That's right. Any capacity issue at those ports causes a backup. It could be a labor issue. Uh, it could be, Steve, you know, limitations on the numbers of workers at the port. Um, some machinery goes down, whatever. But also these trucks. The trucks carry the containers to the intermodal rail facilities uh, or to the rest of the country. And uh, those trucks are streaming in and out. We're talking about Long Beach, L.A. Port, and Oakland Port in California. And uh, if you put restrictions that drive up the costs for those trucking carriers and put some of them out of business, you're just worsening the bottleneck issues at, at those ports. And that's a national issue. That's something Congress should look at. It's something that the federal government should manage and not a single state. And this is a single state that's imposing these regulations for climate change purposes. You know, this is highly debatable. What is California's role? Climate change doesn't affect California any differently than affects the rest of the world. And trucks operating in California don't affect the global climate any differently than a truck operating in Maryland or any place else. And so what's, what gives California the right to impose its green dream aspirational regulatory requirements on the rest of the country? That's a major question, and it's a big problem now when California's in this climate regulation business and trying to change really every industry it can possibly target, uh, certainly in the transportation sector. Yeah, it's, it is a shame, and, and like you said, it's the, uh, it's the end consumer, um, well, and the businesses too, they're all just going to get hammered, you know, unfortunately, yeah. so many good businesses and so many good people that rely um, on the trucking industry, uh, and they're going to have to pay a higher cost for, for no, re- in my opinion, no, no reason. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It hurts the, uh, the most vulnerable, um, I think, worse than anybody else. So, uh, Mr. Bradbury, what's the best way for people to get this memo you did, as well as you did a really nice piece, a commentary piece, titled Virginia Should Make Its Own Decisions About EVs, but where do they get your, uh, your work? So uh, I am a distinguished fellow at the Heritage Foundation. And so if you go to heritage.org and you uh, look me up under the staff there, uh, and when when you go to my website, my bio website, 
everything I've written for Heritage is right there. That's probably the easiest way to get uh, everything we've talked about today. Yep, heritage.org, and the last name is Bradbury, B-R-A-D-B-U-R-Y, and it is great. He even talks about how to fix the FBI. You'll see all of his wonderful writing. And we know that uh, Heritage Foundation is a good friend of the program and has been for many, many years. So uh, we appreciate you, uh, Mr. Bradbury, all the work and uh, for really uh, informing us and educating us today on this issue. Terrific. Uh, very happy to be here, Chris. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, sir. You have a great weekend, and um, that uh, that does it for us. We're up against a hard break, and um, I will talk to you on the uh, Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Chris Williams. That's at 550, 6.50, 7.50 a.m. every weekday morning. We have live conversations, and then we'll be back here uh, next uh, Saturday for another program of the Your Financial Editor Show. Thanks so much for being with us, and uh, this is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success.